Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and was destroying, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, this section here. And now as we head into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is very familiar to a lot of us, it'll help us to remember that Jesus is pointing our attention to God in this section. Remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his focus was getting us to see our sin, the fact that we are sinners if we don't realize it. He used the law to point that out. But then once we move to chapter 6, we see that this, the sermon starts taking the shift to away from us and our sin to the remedy for our sin, putting our focus on God, talk, teaching us to pray, teaching us to focus to him. He's pointing us to God and to seek his power and his provision but as you're going to see tonight, not only for our sin problem, but also for all of life. And that's what we're going to want you to hear. The focus is going to be turning to God for his power and his provision for all of life. Uh, in this section and the next that we'll cover next week, uh, we're going to, he's going to point out our need to seek him to meet our financial needs and not to trust in money to provide for us. But even though this passage is very familiar to us, there's a depth to Jesus' teaching that you may not have seen. So we're going to spend some time tonight unpacking this section of Scripture. And hopefully God will show you some things in a deeper way that maybe, even though this is familiar, you go, nah, I never looked at it that way. So the first thing I want you to hear, as I say that we're to be turning to God for Him to provide for us financially, is I want you to hear the Scripture is very clear. Trusting in God to provide for you financially does not mean sitting back and doing nothing and waiting for God to pay your bills. It actually means realizing that God is the one who provides for us, not you. I want you to hear that. A lot of people think, well, if God's going to just provide for me and God's going to take care of me financially, I'll just sit back and let God do it. I'm going to show you the Scripture is very, very clear. You should never do that. But at the same time, as you are to work, and I'm going to show you the scriptures that talk about that, as you are to work and do what he's gifted and called you to do, as you are to be faithful to do the work that God's given you to do, you should never, ever think for a second that it was your hard work that provided your money for you. All right, let me let the scriptures kind of lay that out. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 6. God speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel as they're about to head into the promised land. He said, so you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you to, into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now take care. 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as to this day. Look closely at the, the, the dichotomy here. In, in uh, verse number nine, he talks about how a land that you can, uh, who's, uh, which you'll lack nothing, whose stones are iron and out of hall, whose hills you can dig. See the work that they had to do? Look over here at verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses, they're to be doing the work. But then all through the rest of it, he keeps pointing out, verse 14, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, who led you? The end of verse 15, who brought you water? Verse uh, 16, who fed you in the wilderness? Again, the, the Bible's very, very clear that we are to do our work, not to think that God's just going to do it and we just sit back and wait for God to do it. We're to do our work, but don't think for a second that when you do the work, if it works out, that's because you're good at it. If it is blessed, and the Bible, and I'm going to show you, the Bible teaches that it will be when you, when you trust him and you do what he says as we go into the fullness of the study of this tonight, you're going to find that the Bible actually teaches that if you do what God says, he will bless you. But you got to be careful because when you do, and he does, don't think for a second that it was you. Now, it's interesting. He's just led them for 40 years in the wilderness where there was no water and no food. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. He brought them out and he brought them immediately into an area where there was no food, no water. And the Bible actually says not only was there no food, no water, there were scorpions and snakes. It says that very clearly a couple of times. Why in the world would God, when he's got this nation that he's trying to get to follow him, take them immediately? Why didn't he just take them immediately into the promised land? He's testing. Oh, yeah, exactly. We already seen he's humbling them. He's testing them and teaching them how to walk with him. I've used this illustration before, but I want to use it again. If you as a parent have a child and your desire is to have that child walk with you and pay attention to you and hang out with you and hold your hand and you want to go for a walk with that child and you have two roads to choose from and one road is a path that on each side of the path there are barking dogs with severe let's just say they're, they're really hungry for flesh but they're on chains and they can't get to the road, but they're right by the edge of the road and they're snarling and barking. And then on the other path that you have to choose from, there's nothing dangerous at all. Actually, there's ice cream trucks and playgrounds and whatever. But if your desire is apparent that you want your child to walk with you, which road would you choose? You choose the one with the barking dogs because you want them to stick with you. Oh, but God's not only going to walk us down the path that has the barking dogs. Sometimes God does bring us from those areas where there's scorpions and snakes. And he was doing to show them, look, I took care of you. I want you to trust in me. But then he says, now I want to bless you. 
I'm going to bring you into a land where you didn't build these houses, some of them. You didn't plant these crops. This is stuff that has been done, and I'm giving it to you. Oh, but be careful. When I take you down the path sometimes in which there's ice cream trucks and playgrounds, don't run off. Don't run off and think that it's all you and not me. Go to Hosea chapter 2. How many of you over the years have heard men say, it's my responsibility before God to provide for my family? Oh, be careful. It's not. It's your job to do what the work that God's called you to do, but if the bills are paid, God did it. Go look at Hosea chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9. He's talking about the nation of Israel and how she was unfaithful in worshiping other gods. And God says, and she, Israel, didn't know that it was I who gave her the grain the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Then he goes on and says, I'll take back my grain from in its time and my wine in its season, and I'll take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. The nation of Israel had gotten all this stuff from God, and they were saying, Baal, look what Baal did for us. And God says the whole time, they didn't realize it was me that provided it for them. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verses 6 through 12. Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. The scripture is really clear. You don't work, you shouldn't eat. But you know what happened? You remember the church had just been begun and the teaching of the early church was, get ready, Jesus is coming back. This same Jesus that you saw ascend is going to come back in the same manner. And Paul didn't know when it was going to happen. And the early church taught the pre-tribulational rapture of the churches all through the doctrine of the scriptures. Think about what Paul said. He said, we who are alive are going to be caught up. He thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. The church was expecting the soon return of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation was written and Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. And so the early church, they actually we're so looking for the return of Christ. Some people thought, well, that means I don't have to work. Jesus is coming back pretty soon. Also keep in mind, some of them, because of their faith in Christ and turning away from Judaism, they lost their relationship with their families and they were excommunicated from the synagogues and they lost their jobs and they lost all that. And as you're going to see a little bit later on in Acts chapter 2, they became a, a family that would love each other and share with each other. And it wasn't communism, and I'll show you that later when we get to that passage, but they were sharing with each other so willingly and generously, some of the people thought, this is pretty cool. I don't have to work. Someone's just going to take care of me. I've heard people actually even say in this day and age, Pastor, do you really believe Jesus is coming back soon? I go, yeah. And they said, 
well, then I'm going to run up my credit cards and let Satan pay for it. Seriously, you'd be amazed. People have actually said that. They said, I'm just going to run my credit cards up. And then when Jesus takes me, I don't have to worry about paying my bills because Satan will let Satan pay for it afterwards. That mindset had crept into the church. And these people had become idle. We're just watching for the return of Jesus. And they stopped working. No, you better work. But again, don't think for a second that your hard work is what's going to provide for you. The scripture is very, very clear that it's God who determines whether or not you make money. He's in full control of all of that, as you're going to see in many, many ways from the scriptures tonight. Go to 1 Timothy. You're in, you're in 2 Thessalonians. Just turn over one book to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verses 17 through 19. We're going to come back to this passage later on. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, or nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like what Jesus was just saying, wasn't it? In Matthew 6, store up treasure in heaven. So, there, by the way, you're going to find that the scripture is very, very clear that if you walk in obedience to God and you trust him and you are Faithful to do all the things we're going to talk about tonight that the scripture says about money, God will give you more. I want you to hear me closely and I want you to hear me clearly. The health and wealth preachers have taken it to an unbiblical realm. But there is a biblical truth that is here in the scriptures that we need to be willing to acknowledge. That the Bible says that those who trust the Lord and believe that God is the one who provides for them financially and live according to how God says to handle our money, he blesses those people with more money. And you're going to find out later on so that they can give more. But, well, let me just let the scripture speak for it. Go to Psalm chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked. Sorry, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That makes a whole lot more sense. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But this blessed person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That doesn't mean that this person reads his Bible every day. This person feeds on the word of God. Don't just read it. He's not a person like James chapter 1 verse 22 says is a hearer but not a doer. That person is like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and then as soon as he walks away he forgets what he looks like. By the way, if you want to have some fun, you want to talk about how most people are hearers of the word but not doers. We don't, we've never learned to meditate on the word of God, to actually chew on it, allow it to move from here to here. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Um, how many of you, show of hands, if you died today, you know you'd go to heaven. All right, put them down. How do you know? Because Jesus said so. Because of his word, he's made a promise that if you would believe that he lived the sinless life, that he died on the cross in your place, that he rose from the dead, and that if you by faith will receive that, you will be given eternal life. Listen, that means his word has moved from here to here. 
You don't even worry about it. You knew you were going to heaven. Well, let me ask you a question. Doesn't the Bible say that God will provide for all the needs of everyone who trusts him? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever worried whether or not you're going to pay your bills? That sounds like the, uh, you don't worry about it because you're old enough that your parents take care of it. Enjoy it while it lasts, my friend. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen closely. We know what the scripture says. We know. We could all quote Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that my God shall supply all of your riches according to his, according to his glory in Christ Jesus, right? We know that. Provide all your needs. But we still worry about whether or not we're going to make it. You know why? Because his word hasn't moved from here to here. One of the ways you'll know that his word and his promises has made it from here to here is that your first reaction will be the right reaction when that situation comes. Like you never even sat there and thought for a second, I hope I'm going to heaven. You knew because his word made your heart in that area. There's other areas he wants his word to make your heart. You want to have some fun? You go, off, go after your church and you grab a little microphone and after people are walking out of church, you just walk up to a microphone and say, hey, could you tell me what the preacher preached on this morning? And everybody will get this glazed look in their eyes. Well, I, th I think it was in Mark. We really are good at hearing it, but meditating on it, allowing it to really get into us. Look at what the scripture says. Blessed is the man who doesn't uh, stand in, uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the way of seat of scoffers. But this person's delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Actually, the Hebrew word is better translated transplanted. In other words, it's picked up from where it was and put where it will prosper. This person is going to be like a tree transplanted intentionally by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season when it's time and its leaf will not wither and all that he does he prospers. I'm going to have you see it all the way through the scripture. The Bible's very clear. We even read it there in Deuteronomy. God says, I'm going to bless you as I bring you into the land. As you walk in obedience to me and you go where I have for you, if you trust me, you're going to get more and more. And when your silver increases and your gold increases, again, don't take it to an unbiblical realm where all of a sudden that means everybody's supposed to be a millionaire. No, no. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content. I know it is to have plenty. I know it is to be in need. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My provision is God, not the money. The problem is the more he gives you, all of a sudden your focus goes away from him and you put your focus on the money. And that's the problem. So when we trust God to provide for us, we're not to just sit back and let God do it. No, we're to work in the areas that he's called and gifted us. Yet, don't think for a second that if I work harder, I'll get more. It's not you who provides for you. It's God. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. Look at verse 19. You're in Psalm 1. Go to Proverbs 28. Look at verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. I, I got to be honest with you, as I read that verse, there have been so many individuals over the years, especially men, unfortunately, and all my years of being in ministry that I've watched in churches all around this country, whose wives and children have suffered because the husband 
was looking for that great miraculous windfall. They were doing the latest scheme, the latest pyramid scheme, or the latest, hey, this is going to make us a lot of money. I had one man tell me, you fake it until you make it. You act like you have money and you'll get money. And his wife and kids were hungry as he was running around trying to find the latest provision miraculously. The one who works the land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Folks, we're to trust in God to to take care of us financially, but that doesn't mean don't work. But it also means that when you work, don't think you did it. It's God who provides for you. And through the rest of our study tonight, I hope that becomes even more and more clear. Folks, this is why we need to realize it's God who provides for us and not us, and not money that provides for us either. For if your faith is in yourself or in your money to provide for you, your faith is in you or your money, not God. Did you catch that? If your faith is in your hard work to provide, your faith's in yourself. If your faith is in money to take care of you, your faith is in money. Either way, your faith is not in God to provide. Your faith is in you. Look at Mark chapter 10 and look at verses 17 through 27. Something happens here in which Jesus deals with this rich young ruler, but in his encounter with them, he just blows the minds of his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Stop for a second before we go any further. This guy runs up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God. Was Jesus saying he wasn't God and he wasn't good? No, he was trying to find out, do you understand that I'm God? Are you calling me that because you think I'm God? Because if the guy really did think he was God, he would have responded a whole lot different than he did. But then Jesus says, well, you know what the law says. And if you look closely, Jesus deals with all the passages in the law, the Ten Commandments, that talk about how we're to treat each other. Did you catch it? He jumps to five through ten. He says, I've done all that since my youth. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Remember, he summed up the law and the prophets into two things. Love your neighbor. What's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're lacking half of it. You need to be willing to put me first above everything else. So here's what I want you to do. Go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy said, I can't do that. Why? He had more confidence in his possessions to take care of him than God. Now look at what happens next, though. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, hang on a second. Didn't I already say to you and begin to show you just a little bit that the scripture teaches that if you walk in obedience to God, he will provide wealth for you? I'm going to show you more. You're going to see it all through the scriptures. Yet at the same time, then he goes on and says, it's hard for someone who has wealth to get into heaven. 
Well, keep reading. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You see, they had been taught that if you're rich, that's proof that God loves you and that you're going to heaven. That's what they had been taught. If you're poor and you're sickly, uh, it's because God doesn't like you and that means you're a sinner and you're not going to heaven. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. And so Jesus all of a sudden points out, here's a rich person and he's not going to the kingdom. And actually, it's really hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom. Anybody want to have any idea why it's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom? What's that? What's that? That's close. Their faith is in. In our natural sinful state, we, even though we might start out believing that it comes from God for a while and it increases, our tendency is to believe that that increases as a result of our effort. And that, and not only that, the more that it increases, the more we trust in it. And our heart goes from following God to money. What you just mentioned, by the way, is Matthew 13, 22. Go to Matthew 13, 22. This is Jesus' teaching and his explanation of the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, 22. He says, as for the, what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness, don't miss that, that's going to be important later on, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to have a lot of money? No. Is it wrong to put your faith in that money? Yes. A lot of people don't realize poverty is a test and a trial, and prosperity is a test and a trial. And everybody's all, every time I've ever said that as a preacher, people said, I'd like that test. Actually, you might not. Because it's easier for you to pass the test when you have very little. Didn't the book of James say that God has chosen to give those in this world who are poor, he's made them rich in faith? The more you have, as you're going to see, the more problems that come with it and harder it is for you to follow God. Look at all the lottery winners. Look at all the lottery winners. It is a perfect example. Is a perfect example. The question is, where's your focus? What are, where are you setting your eyes? What are you setting your eyes and your heart on? Jesus goes, go back to Matthew 6. Jesus tells this little parable here, or a little illustrative illustration, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and he says in verse 22, the eye, Matthew 6, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And, and what he was saying this is this. Just as our eyes lit light into our bodies, you do realize that's where the light comes in, right? Just as your eyes lit light into your body, and if you have good eyes, that's a good thing. But if your eyes are bad and they don't let light in, that's not a good thing. By the way, you do realize that all through Scripture, Jesus described those whose focus was in the wrong place, wasn't on God alone. He described them as what? Blind. The Pharisees were blind, leaders of the blind. 
When you don't realize spiritual truth, you're blind. And just as the eyes, if they're healthy and focusing right, lit light into your body and that's good for you. And if your eyes aren't working properly and that's not good for you in the same way, when your focus is in the wrong place, it's not going to do you any good, even though you think it may be. You need to understand that our focus needs to either going to be on one place. It's either going to be on money or God. Well, we were just in Proverbs 28. Look, go back there to Proverbs 28. We read verse 19. Look at verse 20. Proverbs 28, verse 20. It says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. See, the difference between believing that God's going to take care of you and provide for you versus you wanting to get more, there's a big difference between believing that God's going to take care of you and you wanting to get more. I'm going to ask you a few questions tonight. I'm not going to have you answer out loud, but I know the answer, and I know every one of us are going to say that we've all done it. How many of you ever thought to yourself, boy, if I could just get this Promotion, I'll be okay. My bills will be paid. Uh, you know, if I could just win this lottery ticket, uh, everything. And by the way, over the years, you would be amazed how many people have come to me, Pastor, if I win the lottery, pray that I win their lottery because I promise to make a big donation to the church. How many of you have ever thought, if I could just get that, like I said, promotion or income or inheritance or whatever it is, and you thought that that would take care of you. If I could get that raise, then it would be fine. Oh, you've been duped. Did you honestly think that that's going to fix it? I'm going to show you from Scripture, there's lots of reasons why wealth is deceitful. Riches is deceitful. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verses 3 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. He's just said at the end of verse 2, teach and urge these things. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in their minds and deprived of the truth. Listen to how they're described. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. By the way, did that not just describe half of the Christian channels on our television right there? The stadiums of churches that are full with preachers that preach the health and the wealth doctrine, doctrine, that if you do this, you will be healthy, you'll be rich, you'll drive a BMW, you make a donation to my ministry and God will pay off your mortgage. Their whole doctrine, their whole teaching is godliness means you're going to be wealthy. I hope you never heard that tonight from what I was saying. I want to show you that God promises he'll bless and he'll provide for you and it'll increase but as you're going to see in a little bit, the reason he's going to give you more is so that you can keep 
giving more, not so that you can acquire it. I know that there was this one famous preacher, television preacher years ago, who had all these gold rings, and he had a bunch of cars, and, and it was just crazy the amount of wealth this man had. And some reporter went and interviewed him and asked him, don't you feel guilty when there's all these people that are hungry in the world and you've got all this gold on you? And this was his answer. He said, the streets of heaven, the Bible says, are paved with gold. Why can't I have some now? Keep reading. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take, can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Does the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? No. Hopefully you're going to hear by the end of tonight's message that money is just a tool. Just, just a tool. That's all it is. When you see money as just a tool that God uses, it'll lose its power over you. But if you have a love of money, well, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I don't have time to really take you through these scriptures. I'm just going to quote them to you. But if you want to have a fun study, you go and do a little study on the word serve in the Bible. And you're going to find that the word serve actually could mean serve or could mean worship. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word serve can also mean worship or, it's, or serve. For example, let me give you an example. If we were to have you guys pull your Bibles out and double check me, you'd see it. But the Bible says in the book of Psalms, serve the Lord with gladness. We know that one, right? Psalm 22, verse 1. Serve the Lord with gladness. If you look at some translations, they'll say worship the Lord with gladness. If you go over to Acts chapter 17, verse 25, the Bible says that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Some translations say God's not worshipped by human hands. Now, well, Jim, one translation always uses serve and one always uses worship. No. If you do a study and look at the different translations, you're going to find that the one translation that used serve here used worship over here. And the one that used worship over here used, ser uh, used serve over here. They're not. It's not a certain translation uses that word. If I were to ask you to quote to me Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you, King James, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say spiritual act of worship. Some translations actually say, one translation says spiritual service of worship. You're going to find that serving God and worshiping God are the same thing. Think about what Psalm says. Serve the Lord with gladness. Acts 17, 25 says he's not served by human hands if he needed anything. Well, how do you serve a God who's not served? Oh, he's not served by human hands. By the way, if you did this full study, you would find that the only place that all the translations use the word serve is this one right here. In verse 24, he says you cannot serve both God and money. 
This helps us understand how to serve God who's not served, how to worship God. Here's how you do it. But let me ask you this question. How do you serve money? I'm sorry? You make it your idol. How do you make it your idol, though? You want more and more. Keep going. Oh, you, you, you think it's what's going to provide for you. You don't say, oh, hey, can I serve you money? Can I wash your socks? Can I cut your grass? You can't serve money that way. But you live your life in such a way that your dependence is on money. You might work hard. You might beg. You might steal. But whatever. You think money is going to take care of you. By the way, money makes all the same promises God does. Money says, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. I'll meet all of your needs. How we serve money is we live our life depending on money to take care of us. And we worship money. The love of money, the worship of money is the root of all evil. How we serve God is not that we work hard for God, doing things for God. We live our lives in dependence on him. And when we depend on him, listen closely. That's where we're going to be heading in a little bit. When we depend on him, then we do whatever he says to do because we believe his way is best. And whatever he says, we trust him. Even with, I was going to say our money, but it's not ours. It's his, even with your money. But before we go down that road, I want to talk to you about the deceitfulness of wealth. Look again at verse 19. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. All right. As impressive as big bank accounts are, earthly provisions can be gone in an instant. Does anybody immediately have a flashback to 2008? But God, our true provider, will never leave us. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13. It's a verse, verse 5 is one that everyone, sorry, verse 6 is one that everyone has quoted for years. But they've never understood the context. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Actually, it was the end of verse 5. I said we quote a lot. Look at verse thir chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, who's the he? God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You ever heard people quote, the Lord will never, never leave you nor forsake you. You ever heard that? The context is money. The context of that verse is money. And then it goes on and says, so we won't be afraid. What can man do to us? So let me stop for a second. How many of you over the years... I've had somebody cheat you. Somebody that didn't share the inheritance with you. Somebody that, well, you gave them some money to invest and they weren't as good as they thought they were or they were cheats. And you lost money. And you might be still sitting there right now mad at that individual because, man, I wouldn't be having to work right now at this age of my life if so-and-so had done what they did with my money. As you sit back and you're mad because somebody did you wrong financially in the past, guess where your focus is? Not on God. The loss of the money. And you think that man 
did you wrong? Uh, that's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's the deceitfulness of riches. We don't realize it's crept into all of our hearts a little bit here and there. Go to Proverbs chapter 23. This is actually a cool section of scripture. When I ran across this in my study, I literally started laughing out loud a little bit. Proverbs 23, look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. For when your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The moment you start putting your eyes on it, it's going to be gone. I'm going to show you scripturally in a little bit how it's going to be gone in a myriad of ways. But I'm going to give you what the people in New Orleans call lanyap. If you've been to New Orleans, you know what lanyap is. Lanyap is extra. All right. This is free. Look at verses one through three, and then we're going to look at verses six and seven. Look at verses one through three. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for their deceptive food. By the way, over the years as an associate pastor or a senior pastor in the ministry, I've understood what this means. I've had to learn the hard way sometimes, but I've come to realize it. There will be people that will show up in your life who have money. And they have wealth and they have provisions. And they will look like they're generous with you. But they really have an agenda. Remember when I was an associate pastor in New Orleans, there was this family that would take my wife and I on vacations. We didn't have any money. We were dirt poor, living in government-assisted housing with roaches, and we had nothing. But this family, I'm not going to say their name, were very wealthy. They owned their own business and they would take us on plane trips. They took us on a trip to Disney where they paid for everything and we flew in a small plane and we were loving it. I mean, we didn't live like that. They were feeding us steak and shrimp and fish, and we were living good. But little did we realize their quote-unquote friendship was really because they didn't like the senior pastor, and they wanted to get me on their side so they could start a coup against the senior pastor. And the moment we started to realize what was really going on, and we said, we don't want to talk about that anymore, the relationship was gone. Never talk to us again. But if you're sucked in by that stuff, be careful. People, God, Satan will use people like that to trap you and pull you away. Oh, but I love this one even more. Look at verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a man who's stingy. Do not desire his delicacies either. For he's like one who's inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart's not with you. You ever notice there are people that are like, no, no, get whatever you want. And then they go home and tell their wife, do you realize how many, how many pieces he took? Be careful of the people that are stingy, too. And don't be one of those people yourself where you pretend to be generous, but inwardly you're calculating. Be careful. By the way, the Bible's real clear that our, the wealth disappears lots of different ways. L let me give you an example of one from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The deceitfulness of wealth. Go to Ecclesiastes. You're in Proverbs. Just turn over one book to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Look at verses 18 through 21. 
Solomon says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who'll come after me. And who knows whether he'll be, a, be wise or a fool, yet he's going to be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. You do realize that if you spend your life acquiring, someone else is going to be taking care of it after you go. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Look at verses 10 through 17. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 17. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. I have a friend of mine who's very wealthy, and he'll tell you, he says, people don't realize when you got that kind of money, um, your tax bracket is totally different. And 50% of everything you have goes to taxes. And on top of that, it may be nice to have a big motor home and a car and a boat or maybe another car and another boat. But has anybody thought about the taxes and the repairs? And the more stuff you get, the more you got to spend to keep it up. The more you worry about it. Exactly. Go back. Verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer who, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and in anger. Again, we don't have time to get into it, but the Bible does teach that wise parents and grandparents leave an inheritance for their children. But yet at the same time, we got to be careful that we aren't trying to accrue and accrue and accrue because one day you won't be here anymore and what's going to happen to it? What does God tell us to do with the riches that he gives us? What does he tell us to do with it? To give it away. We're going to get to that in just a second. Actually, right for the sake of time, go ahead and write down Luke 12, 13 through 21, and go look at that one later on. That's the, the story of the rich man who, hey, he acquired great wealth, and he decided he's going to build bigger barns. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry, because I've got enough to be living off of the rest of my life. And that night he dies. God says, fool, what good did that do you? That was Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 in the time we have left here, in the 10 minutes we have left. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The issue is where our treasure is, because our hearts will follow or go towards our true treasure. If God is our true treasure, our hearts will follow him. If it's money or wealth, that's our true treasure, our hearts will be focused on money. So I'm going to say something to you that I want you to hear me. So listen, this is the part I want you to hear. By God's grace, turn your focus on God as your true treasure and your heart will follow. How do you do that then? How do we, by God's grace, turn our hearts toward God and away from money? Does anybody know how to do it? 
I'm sorry? Well, definitely that's part of it. That's the first part, and Timothy had the second part. The first part is you have to ask him to do it. You do realize that even though God asked you to have a love for him and a heart for him, you can't do it without him giving you the grace? You do understand that, right? Whereby grace you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of you, so that no one can boast. It's not of your own works. And the Bible actually teaches everything that God asks of us after salvation is a grace of him that he gives us. That's why in Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, I say to each and every one of you, by the grace given to me, he said, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, Paul said, the only reason I'm giving you authoritative statements and making this is because that's the gift that God's given me and the role God's given me. I'm not doing this on my own. By the grace given to me, I say to each one and every one of you. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, you've heard me quote many times. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. What I want you to do is if you're struggling in this area or you want your heart to even be more toward things of God, you want God to be your treasure so that your heart will follow. Listen, you say first and foremost, God, give me this desire. Philippians chapter 12, verse 13 says, sorry, not 2.13. Philippians 2.13 says that it's God who works in us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Ask God to make your heart go to God. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now what he's going to say. He said, then take your treasure and give it to me. Give to things of God. By the way, real closely and really carefully, listen. Don't let any man tell you where you're supposed to give and what you're to give. That's between you and God. And then the Lord is going to show you where and how and how much. You don't let man step in and say, that means you need to give here. You need to give. No, no, no. God will show you from his word and through his spirit. He'll put on your heart where he wants his money to go. He'll show you. But if you want to have a heart for God, ask him to give you that. And then when you do, don't be surprised. Be ready. He's going to start to challenge you to give. But how many of you have thought to yourself, man, if I had only, if I only had a little bit more money, I'd give. You ever thought, man, if I ever, if I ever just had a little extra, I would be generous. I would love, I'm a generous person. If I had more, I'd be generous. The Bible says if you're not faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. Don't deceive yourself. So don't wait until you have money to give. Start trusting God and start giving it and watch what starts to happen. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to hit you with a bunch of scriptures real quick as we close tonight. I'm going to hit them fast, and I believe the scriptures themselves are going to speak. So we're going to, I'm going to give you like seven in the time we have left. So get ready. Get your pen ready. 1 Timothy, I told you we're coming back to this passage earlier. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud or haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. These people are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take a hold of that which is truly life. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, look at verses 1 through 7. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about an offering that he talked to them about at the end of the first letter that he wanted them to set aside some money each the first day of every week for this offering to be given to the poor in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's talking to them about the Macedonians. He said, now concerning, I'm in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 
Eight would be better. There we go. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Do you see it? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging earnestly, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that is, he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Do you see how many times Paul says giving is an act of grace? All right, let me ask you. Can you save yourself? Why? Because it's an act of grace. It's something God has to give you. Can you be more generous? No, not without him. You can't. You can't sit here tonight and say, all right, I, I hear the message. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be generous. No, you've missed the whole, the whole message. It's an act of grace. God, give me the grace. He's going to then say, here's how I want you to trust me. Here's the baby steps. I'm going to ask you to make a little check here that you don't think you can afford. I'm going to ask you to do something here. I'm going to show you a need, and I want you to give to it. Well, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just let the scripture speak. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see it? God's going to give you more so that you do what? Give more. Oh, by the way, that's something by God's grace over the years, the Lord has taught me and my wife. And it's been so cool. We've been able to teach it to our kids. Our kids are actually generous with each other and with people. The, the money has lost its pull on them. They don't see it as anything but just a tool. Do you realize years ago when my daughter was having to pay for graduate school, we were by God's grace able to pay for their college. But when she went to graduate school, that's a lot more. And we told my daughter, I'm sorry, honey, but you're going to have to pray. And she went to see her grandparents to see an interest-free loan from grandma and grandpa. Do you know that her at the time... 17-year-old brother gave her $5,000 interest-free as a gift to pay for graduate school. Pay me back whenever, and I don't need any interest. And he had accrued that money by working hours at Chick-fil-A as a homeschool kid, getting up at 6 in the morning and going to work. And he had just saved it up. And here he had, I think, six or 7000 in the bank from working at Chick-fil-A. And at 17 years old, when he found out his sister needed some money for graduate school, he said, here. And he's getting paid back next month. That's been a few years. And he's never said, when are you going to pay me back? Why? Because he sees money as just a tool. Oh, and by the way, God has blessed my son. And he's good at making money. But he doesn't care about money. See, a lot of us talk about, oh, man, I'd love to have more. Oh, that's because your heart's still about getting wealthy. When you see it as nothing, it loses its power over you, and you can become generous, and God gives it that. So there are people that God's gifted to do that. Go to Psalm 37. Look at verse 21. 
Oh, and by the way, my son who's getting that money from his sister is going to be buying a car next month. And he saved up the money to buy it for cash. How about that? 20-year-old son who's still in college buying his first car with only 8,000 miles on it. He got a used car with only 8,000 miles on it, and he's going to pay cash for it. Makes your jaw hit the floor. Well, it's because God's principles in his word are true, guys. And if you trust him, well, let's just let the scriptures speak for themselves. Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Go to Psalm 37 and look at verses 23 through 26. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he should not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Did you catch that? Those who are the children of God who really trust the Lord, you'll never see them begging bread. Go to Acts chapter 2. This is the passage I referred to earlier. And I want you to hear as I'm about to read this to you that it is not communism. Because in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and gave it to the church, Peter said to them, when this land was yours, wasn't it yours to do with however you want? And after you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with however you want? Communism is everybody takes all their money, puts it in a big pile, and it's redistributed equally. That's not what the Bible's teaching I'm about to read to you. So little anybody tell you, well, Acts 2 teaches that we're supposed to do socialism. No. Look at Acts 2, though, 42 through 47. This is after Peter preached at Pentecost. 3,000 people were added to the number that day. And these new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and what? Sincere. My translation says generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those were being saved. In other words, they saw themselves as church family. And they saw themselves as family. And if you had a pickup truck and someone needed a pickup truck, my pickup truck is yours. Here. Bring it back whenever you're done. And that person, most likely, if they borrowed the pickup truck, would say, man, that's awesome. And they'd send it back full. Because... You just, whatever I have is yours. You need it, I'm going to share it with you. Why? Because God's going to take care of me. My sister, do you need $5,000 for graduate school? Here you go. It's yours. Whenever you can get it back, get it back. And if you don't, I'm not worried about it. Oh, by the way, we're going to be helping my son pay the rest of the amount for paying off his car that he's going to buy for cash. And you know what we said to him? <laughs> Whenever you pay us back, that's fine. And if you do, you do. And if you don't, you don't. And we're able to share with him. This is what the scripture teaches, folks. Let's close tonight with Psalm 112. I know what time it is. We're going to finish real quick. Psalm 112. 
Actually, no. Just write down Psalm 112, verses 1 through 10 on your own, and I'm going to leave you with Proverbs 11:24. We'll read Proverbs 11:24. Write down Psalm 112, 1 through 10. It is a powerful passage about what a righteous person looks like and how they're always giving generously. Now we're in Proverbs 11:24. That was Psalm 112, 1 through 10. Write down. Now look at Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I love you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And I'll see you next week.